Struggle is a terrible thing to waste. Another word you could use for struggle is trauma. You know, the terrible things that happen to us that leave a mark on us, that, that we carry with us, things that we think at the time are going to destroy us. And traumatic events come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, the sudden loss of a friend is traumatic. Abuse at the hand of a relative is traumatic. An accident at work that leaves you hobbled and hurting is traumatic. A global pandemic and all that comes with it, uh, loss of life and loss of work for some, uh, in the eyes of many, loss of freedom, traumatic. A loved one who will no longer speak to you because they disagree with you politically, traumatic. A good friend of mine just moved from San Francisco back to Texas where she belongs. But while she was living in San Francisco, we would, we would talk regularly, and when we would talk, I would often jokingly ask her about earthquakes. <laughs> because as you know, you know, San Francisco is built along this, this famous fault line, and part of living in that city is recognizing that every once in a while, the earth's going to shake. Every once in a while, the city will rattle, sometimes terribly. Life itself is kind of like that city. Human existence, you could say, is built along a fault line of struggle and pain and hardship. And because we live in this city, so to speak, built along that fault line of struggle, pain, and hardship, every once in a while, our world is going to shake. Our world is going to rattle. But even in the worst of tragedies, even in the biggest of struggles, there is an, an opportunity in the rubble of a life that's been shaken. And the opportunity is to build back better. It's to be stronger. It's to learn and grow from the things that you've been through. And, and this series that we're starting today, and we'll be in for the next month or so, is really about that. It's about us together recognizing that, that we carry pain, we carry trauma with us, and not glossing over that, being able to speak that and name those things, but in the midst of that, hold on to this hope that because of Jesus Christ, in the greatest of pain, there is always purpose. There's always purpose. So as we talk this morning, uh, I want you to humor me. I want you to, to, to write some things down, to jot some things down. Whether you do that with an old school pen and paper, if you've got that, or just take out your phone, open up the notes app, whatever you do. Maybe you text yourself. That's what I like to do. I want to encourage you to, to take some notes this morning because I, I really believe that there's a couple things that, that you and I can hold on to in today's message that will be helpful for us as we try to process some of the pains and hurts of our life. In particular, at the end, I'm going to give you five questions that I want you to wrestle with. Uh, but right now, I want you to write a statement down, a particular statement. Uh, it may seem painfully obvious to you, but it's true and helpful to recognize nonetheless. The statement is this. Write this down. I have and I will experience trauma. I have and I will experience trauma. Uh, the first step in getting better is admitting that things have been bad. Uh, one of the reasons I love the brutal honesty of the Bible is because it paints a picture of the way life is. Not, not merely the way we want life to be, 
in the future when Christ returns, but, but it paints an honest picture of the way life is. I mean, just look at the stories of all the people that God has packed the scriptures with. Each one of them go through pains and problems and struggles that, that all of us, we pray to avoid. Quick examples. Job, he loses his whole family. He loses his livelihood. He loses everything. David has his children turn against him. Paul sits in prison for preaching the gospel. Adam and Eve, their firstborn, kills their youngest. In the lives of every person in the scripture, it paints a picture of a, of a tough, if not terrible, existence. And then look at how Paul in the New Testament, look at how he describes life for followers of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says this, we are hard-pressed on every side. Now there's hope. We're hard-pressed but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We're struck down but we are not destroyed. God's word tells us plainly that life is filled with a truckload of troubles. It just is. So what's in your truck? I mean, it's, it's, it's good to think, what are some of the pains of your past? What are some of the terribly difficult things that maybe you are going through right now? Picture them. Name them. We all go through them. Now, not only do each one of us experience traumatic events, but we all have a way of dealing with it. We all have a way of processing it. You could say that we all have a way of, of framing the terrible things that happen to us. We have a way of, of, of understanding them so that we can put our hands on them and try to cope with them. We all have a way of processing the trauma that we've been through. We all find a way to get through it, so we think anyway. Even for those who deny it, even for those who say, you know what, I haven't been through much, I haven't been through much pain, whatever pain I've been through is so small, I can ignore it. That's a way of framing your pain. I don't have any. Others frame their pain as the biggest thing in the world. When they go through something traumatic, it consumes them and it becomes their world. It becomes the only story that they tell. You can make an argument that this is what, what Job was tempted to do in the Old Testament. I don't want to downplay the, the tragedy that he experienced whatsoever. It is almost indescribable what he lost. Yet in that, he was tempted to make his pain his whole world as big as God, even bigger than God. His pain was tempted to become all that ever was, all that ever is, and all that ever will be until God interrupts and God's like, you know, You've gone through a lot of pain, but your pain is not bigger than the world, and your pain is not bigger than me. There's other things going on. And that was very helpful to Job. Some people frame their pain as evidence of God's anger. I must have done something wrong. Others understand their pain as evidence of God's absence. Well, if this terrible thing happens, it means the universe is just a random and chaotic place, and God is absent, and he doesn't care. And some, and this is really heartbreaking, some they, they frame their pain as evidence of their unworthiness. They don't think they deserve good things or nice things or a, or a happy life or a good story to tell that is their own. And so every bad thing that happens, they see as, as validation of that sad story that I am not worthy of good things. And this is where the Christian faith makes all the difference in the world because what the Christian faith does is it invites us to recognize these pains and it invites us to reframe them in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. It invites us to reframe the traumatic events of your present or your past 
invites us to reframe them according to the faith that's given to us. And here's how we are to frame them and understand them and wrap our arms around them as people of faith. We are to see the traumas that we incur in life as evidence of the evils of this world, but also as opportunities for God's grace. Evidence of the evils of this world, but that's not where we stop speaking. We also say it is an opportunity for God's grace. Why did the accident happen? Why has the pandemic occurred? Why did protesters storm the Capitol? On a lighter note, why did the Texans trade DeAndre Hopkins for a fourth-round draft pick? Why? You know we're going to lose Deshaun and JJ, too. I'm just trying to prepare you for it. Why? Because the world is awful. But listen to me. God's grace is greater. The world is painful for all of us. But God's grace is greater. What, what the baptized followers of Jesus Christ believe is, what we believe is that Christ ultimately not only invites us to reframe our trauma, but, but Christ can actually transform it. He can transform it. Uh, listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. I read this earlier, but it's worth reading again. Paul says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that our suffering produces. Our suffering produces. It produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Follow Paul's line of thinking here. Paul says, you, the baptized believing followers of Jesus Christ, you have peace with the Father. And what that peace means is that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that's been given to you and applied to you through your belief in your baptism, there is, there is no anger between you and the Father as far as the Father is concerned. He is not absent for you. He's right there for you. There is no unworthiness in his eyes toward you at all. You have total peace. The Hebrew word is shalom, meaning it's whole, it's perfect, it's good between you and the Father. Therefore, when terrible things happen, when a truckload of troubles unload themselves on your life, you don't have to go, are you mad at me? He's not. You don't have to go, are you absent? He isn't. You don't have to say, am I unworthy of a life of love from you and blessing in this world? No. You have peace here, which Paul says then frees you to see your struggles differently. It allows you to even, dare I say, kind of rejoice in the aftermath of pain because you believe that because you have God's love, you have God's leadership. Whoever God loves, he leads. He's leading you through things. Your, tr your trauma now has a trajectory to it. It's going somewhere. Your pain now has a purpose to it. Think of it like this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then in the aftermath of trauma and difficulty and pain, there is this invitation for you to experience in some small way yourself what Jesus Christ has experienced on behalf of the whole world. 
Christ was crucified. He was killed, but then he was raised to life. He experienced the worst of all things, but it was used by the Father for the good of all people. He was crushed, but then that crushing then led to new life. And you are invited to see your trauma as something similar. Because you have peace with the Father, you know that your trauma has a trajectory, and God can use the worst of things to produce new things, new life in you. Now, with all that being said, with all of that being true, it comes with one caveat. The caveat is this. Growth in the aftermath of pain is not a given. It needs to be chosen. Growth in the aftermath of pain is not a given. It's got to be chosen. Now, in our theological tradition, we go to great lengths to emphasize the fact that salvation, being brought into God's family, and being given the gift of faith, being marked as a forgiven child of God, is totally passive. We are involved, but it's all up to God. He grabs a hold of our life, and he applies forgiveness, grace, and mercy to you, no matter who you are or what you've done. It's all him. Salvation, getting saved, getting in, getting grace, is all passive. God does this to you as a pure gift. But now sanctification, growing into the implications of that gift, that is active. Salvation, God does to you. Sanctification, the growth, God does this with you. Meaning, you can be saved in God's grace, but you can choose to stay largely the same. Now, if God's Spirit's working inside of you, I don't think you're going to be satisfied with that. I don't think you're going to want that, but you, you can choose that. You can be in grace and yet choose to just hold on to all the pains, carry all the hurts, to keep framing them in really unhelpful ways that keep you stuck or keep you bitter or keep you angry, keep you broken. You can choose to do that. And a lot of people do. A lot of people choose to just take the great hurts of their life and just stuff them way down deep. And every once in a while, they pop up their ugly head and you go, oh, no, you can't, you can't show your face. And you stuff it way down deep. A lot of people choose to do nothing with the pains and traumas that they've experienced. And they experience no growth from those things. Which is why, which is why Paul has to write to the Romans. He has to write and he has to plead. And he's got to say, look, suffering produces. It produces endurance. That's why he's got to say to the Corinthians, we're shaken on the outside. I get it, but we're meant to be renewed on the inside. It's why the writer of Hebrews says, yes, God disciplines, but it's discipline, meaning it has a purpose. It's for our good. And it's why Peter has to proclaim, yes, there's a fire in your life, but you're being refined by fire. God is wanting to do something in you and through you because of all the troubles around you. The reason the scriptures have to scream that message to us is because there's this inclination in me and you to just do nothing with our pain and our hurt and our past. But to hide it, or to rationalize it, or to carry it. Now you might say, well, so what, Matt? So what if I don't want to grow? I don't want to grow. I'm fine the way I am. I like my pain. I got it packed away in my backpack. I carry it with me. It only brings me to my knees every once in a while. I'm fine with that. I don't want to grow. You're free to say that, but I don't think you should for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's a waste. The world will break you, but you can be stronger in the broken places. Did you know that? Also, 
to choose not to grow is unkind to the rest of us. Because those who choose not to be transformed by their pain, they transfer their pain very often. Wounds become weapons that we wield. And the pain that we carry, it leaks out into other aspects of our lives and it becomes like anger that bursts forth on people that we love or it becomes addiction that destroys relationships or it becomes anxieties that take over the dynamic between us and other people. If, if, you, if you can't open the gift of grace in terms of growing from your pains for yourself, at the very least, would you consider wrestling with those things for the people around you? Now, the question then becomes, how do we do that? Well, to, to put it like perhaps overly simply, for people of faith, the way we do this is, is, we, is we, we take our hurts, we take our traumas, we take our pains by name, and that part's important, we take them by name to Jesus. We take our trauma by name, we call for what it is, and we take it to Jesus. We take it to him by, by bringing it to church, we bring it here. Uh, we take it to him by, by, by lifting it up to him in prayer. We take it to him by, by bringing it to his people and talking about it. Think of it like this. If you want to grow from your pains, what you've got to do in your personal life is you have to force a confrontation between the things that have happened to you and the one who has you. You have to force a confrontation between the pains that you carry and the one who carries you. And you have to force these two things to interact. It means you, you come to this place with, with intentionality. You come through these doors on a Sunday morning or you tune in online on purpose knowing knowing the pain that you carry and, and bent on the fact that when, when Matt stands up there and declares me forgiven and loved, I'm going to lift up this thing and I'm going to apply that truth to this hurt. It, it means in prayer, you wrestle with that thing and you grieve that thing and you complain about that thing and you believe that as you lift that up to God, the Holy Spirit is taking it and putting it right in the Father's lap and he sees it and he's going to work with it and do something about it. It means that you choose to live in some kind of honest community with other people of faith where you don't just say, oh, I'm fine, things are good. You know, it's crazy, but things are good. But you choose to live in some kind of honest community with other people where you dare to share the traumas of your past and you let people offer you love despite the reality of your brokenness. And then you choose to believe that the love that they show me despite my wounds in my past is the love that the Father is showing me, despite the pains of my past. You force a confrontation between the pains you carry and the one who carries you. You, you could put it like this. You could say that, that the path of growth looks like these three steps. It looks like reflection, disclosure, and community. And you see this pattern of people who are, who are growing in the context of their faith throughout the scriptures. Reflection, disclosure, and community. Reflection simply means you do like the inner work of being like, what's wrong with me? Why am I hurting so much? What happened to me? How do I feel about it? What am I tempted to do with it? That's reflection. And then there's disclosure, like you, you, you speak it, like I've been hurt like this, and you speak it up to God, and you speak it out to his people. 
And this is a really important part. Part of growth is getting the pain from the inside to the outside into people who, the hands of people who can do something with it, helpful and good. Uh, the famous poet Maya Angelou, she, she once said, and I, I love this quote, she said, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you. King David put it like this in the Psalms, Psalm 32. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. If you want to grow, you got to get what you're carrying on the inside to the outside. And then it's about community. It's about walking with people who, who kind of share the same hope and promises as you and, and letting them remind you over and over and over again what's true from God about you and letting you experience through them over and over again the, the unconditional acceptance of God that is yours through Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like. Now, if you want to start this journey or dig into this more deeply, uh, I encourage you to start with that reflection piece. What happened to me? What's going on in me? What am I tempted to do about it? In order to help you with that reflection piece, I want to give you five questions. Now, these questions were given to me by a very wise friend, and I found them just profoundly helpful in this, this first step of reflecting upon the difficult things that have happened to me, right? And let me just walk through these. The first question is this. What happened? I mean, you'd be surprised to know that it's very difficult for people even to admit to themselves, like in the quiet of their own heart and mind, that something terrible has happened to them. So what happened? Second, what am I feeling as a result of it? Third, what's the story I'm telling myself? And we all deal with our pain by telling ourselves a story. How do we make sense with it? Fourth, and this is the real life changer, what's the gospel say to me? And then fifth, the final question, what's the counterintuitive choice I need to make in light of the gospel in order to grow? So let me run through it quickly again. What happened? I was hurt by a family member who was supposed to love and protect me. What am I feeling? I'm feeling shame because of what they did, and I'm feeling like I did something wrong, and I'm feeling like I'm a, I'm a failure at life. What's the story I tell myself? The story I tell myself is that I'm not worthy of people who treat me well. That if I have people around me who love me, they're probably going to hurt me too. The story I tell myself is that people who are supposed to be good turn out to be bad. That's the story I tell myself. Fourth, what's the gospel say? The gospel says that God's love gets the last say on my life. The gospel says that I'm forgiven for any wrong that I've ever done. The gospel says that the evil that was done to me was punished on the cross by Jesus Christ. The gospel says that I am worthy of love and acceptance and health in the eyes of God, which means I can live that out in the world. Fifth, what's the counterintuitive choice I need to make? The counterintuitive choice I need to make is perhaps forgive the person I'm tempted to just hate for the rest of my life. Or the counterintuitive choice I need to make is to talk to somebody who can help me with this professionally, even though I'm tempted to just carry it and try to fix it on my own. You see how this goes? 
And what you'll notice is that if you use questions like this in your reflection, that your prayer and your personal wrestling in the context of your faith, it starts to sound a whole lot like the Psalms. If you read through the Psalms, like 90% of it is basically David in prayer answering questions like this. What happened to me? My sons have betrayed me. What am I feeling? I'm feeling abandoned. What's the story I'm telling myself? I'm a failure as a king, and there's always people out to get me. What's the gospel say? I'm still God's anointed. I'm still God's chosen. What's the counterintuitive step I need to make to leave this cave and leave the hiding and go and, go and lay claim of the life that God has called me to? Reflection. Deep inner work is where growth begins. I'll close with this. The other day, I was, I was doing some reading about winemaking because I'm a nerd. Now, I, I don't really know anything about wine or how to make it or really how to grow anything at all, uh, let alone a vine and, and, and grapes, but, but, I, but I found what I was reading kind of fascinating. You know, and I had assumed that in order to grow something really healthy, that you needed like the richest and ro most robust of soil. You needed soil that was full of all kinds of organic material. But in my reading, what I learned is that in some of the best vineyards in the world, they have some of the worst soil on purpose. That in some of the best vineyards, what you'll find is really sandy ground, which is really, really low in nutrients. And the thinking is this, that if the soil is too rich and too hardy, in a sense too good, the vine and the leaves will, will consume all the nutrients and leave very little for the fruit. And so what many winemakers have found is that if you have, if you have brittle and bad soil, so to speak, that the vine will prioritize the grape. It will take whatever it can find and give it to the fruit so that the fruit ends up being stronger and more robust and hardier than it would be otherwise. And because, again, I'm a nerd and I'm always like trying to frame things in the context of faith, I'm like, well, this is, this is just like life with God. Sometimes we are planted in terrible soil. Sometimes we are, we are planted in, in truly traumatic things. And yet, and yet, it is so often the case that God is using the worst soil to produce a stronger crop. Because when I'm, when I'm planted in a terrible season, it forces me to reflect upon my need for God. It forces me to understand truly who I am. It forces me to lean even more upon the vine that feeds me. What if in being in a terrible, traumatic situation in the aftermath of that, what if God had planted you in that soil so that in the end, at the end, he might produce a more robust, a stronger, a sweeter tasting wine in you. What if? Struggle is a terrible thing to waste. May you frame the pains of your past in the context of your faith. The world is awful, but God's grace is greater. May you hand your hurt by name. May you hand it to Jesus. May you reflect on what it is. May you, may you disclose it to him and to others. May you walk with others in community. 
May you choose to grow. And when you find yourself in terrible soil or you feel yourself being pressed, acknowledge it. But then with a heart of faith, knowing what's possible in Jesus Christ, look up to the heavens and say, God, I trusting you that you are making great wine. More next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us eyes of faith to see beyond our pains. It is so difficult when we are being pressed to know uh, the beauties of the wine to come. But we thank you that you have given us eyes of faith to see that just as Jesus' death led to resurrection, you use our traumas, our pains, and our past to build something new, to transform us, to grow us, to produce something that is beautiful to you and helpful to others in us. Father, help us to lean into that growth, to understand the pains and hurts that we carry, and to lift them up to you, and to choose not to be bitter, but to be beautiful by your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.